0: Listener warning. This episode deals heavily with the themes of child and human trafficking, sexual abuse, and child abuse. Discretion is advised. I'm Dave Baker. And I'm
1: Andrew Price. Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick a topic and walk you through the ins, outs, and nitty-gritty so you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is... QAnon. What is QAnon? It's a massive conspiracy theory movement that began in 2017 and purported that there was a secret insider in the U.S. military known as Q leaking info to the public through the internet image boards like 4chan and 8chan about how then-president Donald Trump was secretly working behind the scenes to topple a hidden cabal of satanic, pedophilic, baby-eating villains, largely comprised of Democrats, Celebrities openly critical of Trump, wealthy Jewish business owners, and entrepreneurs like George Soros and the Rothschilds. Q's predictions foretold an event would occur any day in which all of these evil deep state members would be mass arrested, executed, and then the world would enter into a period of utopian enlightenment in which all disease would be cured and everyone would become rich. But as the predictions continued to not come true and exacerbated by the anxiety and mental strain of the 2020 COVID-19 pandemic, QAnon morphed into a planet-devouring mega-conspiracy that absorbed all others as it barreled forth into the forefront of public consciousness, becoming the universal theory of everything in a post-truth era, possibly the defining ideological event of our time. Over many hours and who knows how many episodes, We will exhaustively cover the origins of QAnon, the key players, the timeline of events, speak to experts in conspiracy theory, cults, journalists who've been covering the movement since day one, and even people who were instrumental in the movement's creation. We'll discuss why it happened, the psychology behind how people get sucked into it, the aspects of it that might actually be true the effects it's having on modern society, and how we should deal with it. Buckle up, because just in time for the season of All Hallows' Eve, we're heading into the territory scarier than any skeleton, ghost, or witch. Prepare yourself to explore the death of truth, the downfall of Western civilization, and the mainstreaming of destructive conspiracism. It's officially QAnon Month, baby!
0: One of the big surprises of the presidential campaign was the explosion of fake news on the internet. Fantastic tales that some believe to be true. 28-year-old Edgar Welch was arrested in Washington Sunday afternoon outside Comet Ping Pong, a popular family pizza The
1: park. letter Q may be one of the least used letters in the English language, but for followers of QAnon, or Q Anonymous theory, it's a doorway into something called the he deep was state. a patriot. He is someone that is very much loves his country, and he's
0: on the same page as us, and he is very pro-Trump, QAnon okay? first emerged in the months after President Trump took office, starting on fringe internet message boards before spreading to social it's media. It's been a very slow death of the people that I once knew. Now I don't recognize them, and in a way
1: that's been more painful, because I haven't been able to fully grieve at any you just point. posted says that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom and that government of the people by the people for the people shall not perish from the earth Abraham Lincoln November 1863 together
0: we are Q. some of those people wearing and holding the 17th letter of the alphabet are you holding a big red white and blue Q? why do you have that it's a movement man it's the shift I can feel it coming some call it the Great Awakening. You're wearing a shirt that says, Q-W-W-G-1-W-G-A. What does that mean?
1: It means, where we go one, we go all. QAnon is the people that believe in what Trump's trying to do to change our During
0: country. the pandemic, uh, the QAnon movement has been, appears to be gaining a lot of followers. Can you talk about what you think about that and what you have to say to people who are following this movement right now? Well, I don't know much about the movement other than I understand they like me very much which I appreciate, but I don't know much about the movement. I was watching um, the, the press conferences with Donald Trump on TV, okay. okay? I felt like he was talking to me, okay? okay. Um,
1: somebody sent me the YouTube video, Fall of Cabal, and I watched part five. I don't know if you've seen it. Part five. Part five. Part five. It talks about... No, so we need children. I mean, Hugh tells people. us stuff that all of it's lies. Is what I'm saying. You keep, you keep interrupting me because you're lying.
0: Because you're full of shit. That's why, because every goddamn, goddamn thing out of you people's mouths doesn't come true. And it's always, oh, there's energy, and oh, now we're done with Trump. You said he was the Messiah. You said he was invincible. You said it was all over. They were all going to get Mo. Now, oh, he's part of a larger thing of Q. I will not suffer your Q people after this. I knew what you were day one. and I know what you are now. And I'm It was sick. politicians talking on TV, they're the ones spreading disinformation to Americans. Maybe they're from QAnon.
1: question. You're going through a possible list of who Q might be. That's right. <laughs> You're on the list. Well, let's continue. We go one, we go all. We, we, we go, go one, one, we go God all. God bless America. We go one, we go all. That he can simply be reinstated, that a new inauguration date is set, and Biden is told to move out of the White House, and. <laughs> And 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 President Trump should be moved back in. Yeah. She tells her daughter that she thinks that the White House is a set and that Biden isn't actually president. Um, apparently, what they said is way back when, it was like 1871. Um, inauguration Day used to happen on March 4th. And then Donald Trump will be back and he'll be inaugurated as either the 19th president of the United States Republic or the first president of some new. The crux of the
0: theory is this belief that you are secretly saving the world from this satanic
1: cult of pedophiles and cannibals.
0: If uh, if I can help save the world from problems, I'm willing to do it. Act 1. I bet when Al Gore personally invented the internet, he never imagined that people would use it to spread false information. Human beings have a difficult relationship with the truth. We value it. We crave it. It's the very thing we demand in nearly every aspect of our lives, and yet our brains weren't built for it. They're imperfect. They have difficulty retaining an objective view of things. They search for emotional validation rather than a complete and unbiased picture. Our brains even literally change memories to fit a version of the world we prefer. And so we, in the human condition, are caught in this unending paradox of demanding facts while actively crafting our own realities. A lot has been said about how we are living in the post-truth era, or that the mass-ambiguation of reliable information is a recent product, but it's always existed. Friedrich Nietzsche, a German-Swiss philosopher who lived from 1844 to 1900, believed back then that truth was impossible that only interpretations existed, and that everything was subjective. Nothing can be truly proved. And just as time is relative, all of us only experiencing a close approximation of the same temporal continuity whose differences are not perceptible to the human mind, but nonetheless exist completely separately from one another, so has the infrastructure of organized society, rule of law, dogma, social tribes, and our innate desire to want to cooperate and coexist with other people lulled us into the illusion that there is one single agreed-upon version of the truth accepted by any reasonable person. The binary state of popular storytelling with heroes and villains, good and evil, right and wrong, has done nothing to help our foregone conclusion that there's only one version of our world. You either get on board with it, or you're likely crazy. In fact, this is the cornerstone of the way we socialize. Identifying those whose beliefs most closely match up with ours, and alienating ourselves from those who don't. This is quite literally how human tribes are formed. But with the mass industrialization of the world and the abandonment of the tribe dynamic in exchange for our country-sized communities throughout the 20th century, there were bound to be conflicts that would arise when comparing and juxtaposing that many people's version of the truth. We needed some way to regulate it. Religion, monoculture, capitalism, they all served to not only enforce and control people, but also enforce one specific reality, which is almost necessary. It would be chaos otherwise. We all need to believe that millions of people are all experiencing the world roughly in the same way, as opposed to how it really is. That we're all moving amongst each other, completely independently, pinging off one another without any true alignment. We just so happen to be doing it in the same place. But what about once those levers of power start to corrode and die? And what if we're more connected than ever to more people than ever? What if the entire world were connected into one giant global community, but the systems in place for maintaining a shared continuity of truth were all dismantled and dissolved by the very tool that connected us. We'd see how truly little common ground we all had. And unlike the way we see it from a modern perspective with the events of the last 10 years, we wouldn't be experiencing a societal change or shift into a post-truth world. We'd simply be seeing the world as it has always existed, just without the system in place to keep the truly chaotic aspects of it dormant. In this sense, there really has been a great awakening. Oh god, you're getting radicalized. The tool that has connected us and toppled our monoculture, of course, is the internet or, more specifically, social media. The internet gets lumped in and blamed for these problems a lot, but a truly decentralized World Wide Web without the added layer of recommendation engines and algorithms is simply just a tool for free-exploring the catacombs of information where the most useful will always rise to the top, and the most toxic and destructive will remain in the dark depths where only a small minority of people will be corrupted by it. And what's even more terrifying than the idea that we're all living in our own unrelated realities that only sometimes cross over with each other in ways that make it feel like we're coexisting together— but ultimately they're all alone and navigating unrelated experiences, is the fact that the reason we're taking notice of it right now for the first time is because there are bad actors on these social media platforms that realize this and they figured out a way that they could exploit it for their own gain. Many people only became aware of this disillusion of the collective experience in the last couple of years. Throughout the 2010s, social media created the attention economy where being recognized and validated for expressing your voice and being heard by strangers transformed into an addictive currency we all decided to cash in on. Algorithms and the way they disseminate content and give reach to messages based on how emotionally triggering they are flatten the experience of discourse online to a two-dimensional binary paradigm of exaggerated interpretation of nuanced information and overstated harm. The top 1% of most quote-unquote mind-blowing claims and extreme examples became the only information we were exposed to. Our daily experience of the world curated to be constantly intense, numbingly stupid, and frequently terrifying. Exhausting. Emotionally draining. The rest of the more nuanced details just weren't seen. Nobody wanted to share a measured, detailed, thoughtful interpretation of things. They wanted to share that the sky was falling. At first, this template was filled with fairly harmless, if not pointless content. An endless stream of life hacks, gold digger pranks, stories about puppies saving children from tornadoes, tattoo listicles, song covers, influencer vlogs, shopping hauls, celebrity drama, those compilations of you-had-one-job photos... And most importantly, subtle streams of misinformation, the relatively harmless kind, like spreading made-up facts about how Mr. Rogers was a sniper in the U.S. Marines, or that the early 2000s party rocker Andrew W.K. is played by multiple actors. But the template consumed and replaced the way we were exposed to and experienced information completely. It served as a Trojan horse that hacked and rewired our brains into gaining knowledge in an entirely new way and then serving as a placeholder for something new and sinister to fill that template. Something changed. The need to appeal to the algorithm and climb further up the totem pole of engagement bait caused people to push the things they said online to further and further extremes in order to stand out from the din of other voices. The voices that had grown and become major figures in the public conversation were radicalized to the furthest extremes of their own beliefs, by a feedback loop of their social feeds curated rabbit hole of exponentially more superlative interpretations of the world, fed by the need to please the algorithm and rise to the top of the pile of content. This radicalized view of the world began to bleed outside of the internet into meat space informing the way we communicate with one another, how we view the levers of power that reside over us, and how politicians interact with their constituencies. Everything became the most extreme, exaggerated, most heightened, most polarized version of itself. And because of the way that large amounts of misinformation was being circulated into the ecosystem, and because of the massive amounts of information that we were being fed every single day, Any normal person finding it physically impossible to vet every piece of information they saw for credibility, taking things at face value within the context of your social feed became completely normalized the pump was primed. People in society became only interested in the most extreme and exaggerated things to emotionally rally behind, and incredibly vulnerable to believing misinformation that fit into and validated their worldviews. All it took was for the switch to be flipped, which happened somewhere around 2016, and most definitely during the 2020 COVID-19 pandemic. Once politicians and authority figures began to speak in the language of social media discourse, and people who understood the language of algorithm engagement tactics got into positions of power, what was once an addictive feedback loop of time-wasting became a finely honed political and ideological radicalization machine. Life hacks and get-rich-quick chain letters were replaced by hyper-political tirades and good-versus-evil moral panic rhetoric. George Takei went from posting an unending stream of cute puppy compilations to an unending stream of anti-vax politicians dying of COVID
1: compilations. Our brains just simply weren't prepared for it. He's even like a perfect example of kind of charting the trajectory of the internet in terms of he was a celebrity who was a person who was known for one thing. He, George Takei, guy on Star Trek, has a very interesting voice, right? It was low, deep, oh my. That was kind of his shtick for a solid couple decades. He didn't really do much outside of, he was Sulu on Star Trek, and then he played in somewhat of a Adam West style, late period Adam West style, where he played George Takei in things. But the reason that transition happened is that George Takei was really smart about when internet culture really started to bloom. He hired comedians to run his social pages and post memes, lots of which were about himself, but also a lot were just like general fail compilations and that kind of shit, which in the early 2000s really cemented him as this comedic voice of the internet and then you saw it. He also marked that the next change too of when Me Too started happening. Many of those claims are calls for increased accountability against people in positions of power. It's the reason why that kind of cultural shift and reckoning is happening even now. And George Takei was accused of doing some things, which there was a period where it happened. People who very rightly deserved to have their previous actions questioned were called to account. And then we started maybe going into a little different area where things are a little bit grayer and, and people who maybe crossed boundaries, but maybe also weren't the only party at fault started to be drawn into this conversation. And uh, people like Aziz Ansari or whoever, were he's not, he's crossing a line. He's not being a, a an empathetic partner. But there's also a gray area there of what he's doing is not the same as Bill Cosby, (laughs) where if Bill Cosby's raping 70 women. Yeah, this is something
0: that, like, you should be sat down and called out on, not maybe having a massively viral piece of editorial crafted around it that puts you into the public spotlight and puts you at the same level as Bill Cosby.
1: Yeah, and that's what had happened with George Takei, too. There was a person who came out, and during the whole height of the Me Too movement was basically saying George Takei sexually assaulted me. He he drugged me and did things to me. And then the waters get murkier because as time goes on, it the truth in that might not be as black and white as the person initially said. It's just it's more of a complex thing. And that kind of trajectory of George Takei's life of being this celebrity known for a specific thing, transitioning into being a comedy icon, playing himself a lot, and then being a figurehead in these two very big transitional moments in the Internet's history is, is very interesting.
0: Yeah, and I, fi- I find it very, to watching his trajectory, very fascinating because, number one, you're looking at one of those comedians, baby. Oh, you worked for uh, Old Dirty TK? I didn't work. Well, so for about five, four or five years, my company created all of George Takei's content. I specifically focus on them. I didn't work for George Takei, but basically we partnered with the company that runs George Takei's social media, which is called The Social Edge. And we, our, our editorial team, a team of comedy writers, created all the listicles that he put out for a while. And it's so interesting to see because back then we were making like, 15 balloon life hacks that'll make your smile appear. Like, shit like that. Like, it's just, it's just, and, and, and he was just, like, he traded in that kind of, like, light, slightly clickbaity, upworthy type content for years. And to see that shift between that time of when the accusations happened and then whenever he got cleared of them a little bit and it was that kind of went away and he came out of the other side of it like, having been vindicated. And then I think it was at first it was a matter of, oh, well, I can't just post 15 balloon hacks after I've just been accused of this horrible crime. Like it would be weird and inappropriate. And so he started talking about slightly more serious things. And then the whole world just went insane where, as I'm outlining here, the way that social media disseminated content, this light fare of like life hacks and funny pranks and things like that was just it was just completely palette swapped for extreme partisan political engagement bait content. The whole Internet became just fucking two sides posting like unhinged rant by fu- like this person or whatever.
1: Big titted goth girl tells you exactly why she wants to step on you because of your political beliefs.
0: Yeah. And he not only just leaned into that around that time, but. He turned it into this cottage industry. It's just become this feedback loop of just partisan negativity. It's like cynical because I know for a fact from knowing the behind the scenes world of how George Takei's content team runs that he generally believes in the things that he posts. Like he's not just disingenuously putting out messages that he doesn't agree with. But it's a content factory. He's making money. He doesn't care about that. As long as you don't, know, as long as he's not posting like Nazi pro Nazi material, like he's not going to say something that he disagrees with. But that his whole thing is just a content farm to make money for his company. And I, that that's just so funny to see. You know, he started out, that was what he was doing in the beginning. He was a content farm to make money, but it was like harmless shit that was just like life hacks and tattoo compilations and stuff but to see the evolution to that same business model but it's just like unhinged republican rants crazy manifesto it's just it's like this find and replace of this crazy person said this thing and i'm gonna write this inflammatory article about it to just get people riled up and angrily hate commenting It's just very fascinating that we've shifted into that as a
1: society yeah, I'm going to find and replace fascinating with existentially tormenting.
0: Yeah, but as I said before, this didn't start with social media. The algorithm simply broke apart the kayfabe, helping everyone to believe we were living in relative harmony. The process began decades ago, perhaps even hundreds of years ago. But before we explore that, let's talk about the matter at hand, QAnon. What is it? How did it start? What does it mean for us? Honestly, I don't even know where to start. It's such a ridiculously dense topic. I I, I spent months researching for this episode... And every time I thought I had figured out what the beginning was, I slipped into another rabbit hole or I talked to an expert. That revealed another layer and the scope of the research just went even wider. So anyway, let's set a couple of ground rules before we really get into this. This will be an exhaustive exploration of the origins, complete timeline, key events, psychology and consequences of the QAnon movement. We will cover the events and historical moments that inspired and led up to the birth of QAnon and every major occurrence in the movement since its creation in October of 2017 up to today. Throughout the course of the series, we will sit down and speak with multiple experts in various aspects of what QAnon is, from conspiracy theories to religion to cults, as well as journalists who have covered the movement since the beginning. Because this will be a complete deep dive on such a broad span of time with so many major events, we're restricting the coverage to exclusively things that are directly QAnon-related. There are many QAnon-adjacent events and people that are fascinating and worth exploring, but we'll be sticking to just things directly tied to the movement. For example, where the name QAnon or one of its many aliases and dog whistle phrases was used directly in relation to the event or person, in the interest of keeping this to a somewhat manageable length. We've approached this topic from as much of an apolitical standpoint as we possibly can. In other words, I'm less interested in discussing the political context of QAnon or harping on what it means politically, as I am in exploring the ideology, people, story, growth, psychology, and impact of the movement itself. As we will explore, I disagree with much of what QAnon followers believe and think that a majority of it is misinformation and deception from opportunistic grifters. But I also recognize and acknowledge that some aspects of it are true, and in some cases, the general essence of what some true believers want out of the movement are genuinely well-intentional and based on real problems in our society. I am making a genuine attempt to present this information in as good a faith as I possibly can and have no political agenda to misrepresent things, take them out of context, or frame them to fit a narrative. However, considering that QAnon is a movement that literally believes that Donald Trump is a paranormal superhero, working with a team of military officials to topple a global cabal of mostly Democrat politicians and celebrities, and 70% of it is based on anti-Semitic tropes that have dated back for hundreds of years, there's only so far you can go without injecting your own political and ideological beliefs into the conversation, so it's going to happen. In other words, I'm going to be the Greek chorus in the corner going, FUCK THAT DUDE! i'm anticipating not that it's going to help but i'm anticipating the people who are going to be like oh this was biased and you're clearly leftist people it's like obvious like you cannot talk about this story without including your own opinions and political thoughts it's impossible it's inextricably tied up in politics i i from a standpoint of crafting the narrative i have avoided that i've avoided editorializing as much as i possibly can which i think i've done a fairly good job of but it's just it's going to happen because it's germane to what this entire thing is other than a handful of major aspects of the movement this series will not be about debunking every claim made by QAnon or the movement As much as I'd love to go through each claim or belief and provide the exhaustive confirmed facts and research that contradicts it, it would just be physically impossible. Over the pandemic, I got into many arguments with people on the Internet where I got hyper fixated on trying to explain to them, not argue with them, not get into a a flame war or a dunk match, but just actually try to lay out the facts and provide sources for them to explain to them that the thing that they were saying was not true and honestly, the several times I had done it were fairly effective. There were people that either I actually changed their minds or they acknowledged that what they said wasn't true, or at the very least, they just stopped arguing because they just realized that they, had, they didn't have a pot to piss in. However, these were situations where I was literally spending hours of my life just typing things to a stranger on the internet, which I would not recommend anybody do. And as much as I would love to, and as much as my own personal fixations, there's a scenario in which I do line by line, lay out the facts and details That contradict or disprove a lot of these claims. It's just a Sisyphean task and that's not what this is going to be about. Don't expect this to be a show about point by point disproving everything about QAnon. This will only be done when it's completely necessary. Yes, we believe that child and human trafficking are real and it is a major problem that occurs in our country. Yes, we believe that there is pedophilia that occurs within elite groups in Hollywood and high levels of government that is covered up because of the massive wealth, fame, or power of the perpetrators or their accomplices and that it is not insignificant. Yes, we believe that there's wide-scale corruption within our political system and government i'm anticipating the straw man arguments here this is the strongman argument segment because that's the thing the 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 sort of like deflection of these arguments is you're saying this therefore that and so if you contradict any of these things it's like oh so you're saying that there's no child trafficking oh, so you're saying that our government isn't corrupt? No, it's a much more nuanced conversation than just, I either believe in these tenets of QAnon or I'm like a fucking bootlicker of the government who thinks that there's no such thing as child trafficking. That's not how it works. Maybe Hillary Clinton is a pedophile. There's no way of knowing that for sure. Just like literally every human being on this earth could potentially be a pedophile. The point, though, is that there is no factual evidence of most of these specific claims. Keeping in mind that a major factor of QAnon in most conspiracy theories is that fact and truth are intentionally interwoven into the mythology, making it harder to unilaterally reject. Being opposed to QAnon or believing that many of its claims are false is not equal to thinking that those things don't exist or being in support of them. It is the specific claims of QAnon that are the subject of scrutiny and criticism here, not the broad concepts and on touches upon. If you are critical of the hashtag Save the Children movement, you are not against saving children or stopping child trafficking. You are opposed to the specific unsubstantiated claims of mole children being tortured and eaten in the underground subway tunnels of New York City. <laughs>
1: is that a real mole children? That's a specific tenant.
0: Yeah. Mole children. We're going to talk about it. We're going to get into it, but mole children was a huge part of QAnon, like in the midst of, (laughs) of the pandemic. That was the whole thing. The reason why they had the tents, the medical tents in New York City and the bodies that they were filing out, that, those weren't COVID patients that were dying. Those are the children that they keep in the underground subway tunnels in New York City that they, bre- they breed underground that are not fully human because they've never seen the outside world. They've been like genetically modified to be mixed with animals and they're exclusively bred for consumption and sacrifice
1: bro where do i sub to this new image book this sounds great can i put that shit on my pull list
0: this whole thing is a fucking shitty 90s comic book story
1: well i mean that that sounds like the gritty reboot of the fantastic four moloids it's just like oh they're being sexually abused they're no longer just like weird little cute monsters led by Mole Man. Now they're his concubines.
0: This is going to be a, this is going to be a major factor of discussion in this episode, but everything about QAnon is just like a, a, a cribbing and remixing of just like movie shit and comic book shit. It's just like people it's literally just created by teenagers who are into weird, shitty movies like the Gen Zers love the Star Wars prequels. So imagine somebody who loves the Star Wars prequels and the types of and the types of movies that, that kind of person is into creating a mythology and convincing people that it's real. There is zero factual evidence of this, and we've seen that spreading these false claims actually hurts the fight against child trafficking. We are opposed to the way that the QAnon and the Save the Children movements have actually made it harder to fight child trafficking by clogging up helplines with bogus claims and making it more difficult for legitimate claims to get support from experts. We are against the shoddy and sometimes completely made-up statistics and numbers spread by those movements that aren't correct and create an inaccurate idea of what is actually going on in the world of child trafficking. Oversimplifying these complicated subjects and actually making them less likely to be fought in the correct way that will actually yield results. The QAnon movement has not saved a single child to this very day. In fact, it's probably delayed the safety of hundreds of trafficked or abused children. And so on and so forth. To make the argument that we are opposed to QAnon and therefore opposed to stopping child trafficking or corruption is a bad faith, disingenuous position to take so stop it. And with that out of the way buckle up because welcome to Dark Cuts. The rest of the stuff is incredibly ...incredibly dark. In March of 2016, the personal Gmail account of former White House Chief of Staff and Hillary Clinton campaign chair John Podesta was hacked. And thousands of his emails, a large amount of them work-related, were obtained by what U.S. intelligence officials believe was a Russian cyber-spying group called Fancy Bear. Then, in October of 2016, the FBI conducted a probe to retrieve private info and emails off of the laptop of former Congressman Anthony Weiner as part of his ongoing investigation for sending illicit materials to a minor. On October 30th, a Twitter account known for posting anti-Semitic and white supremacist messages claimed that, while conducting the probe, the FBI had uncovered a secret child-trafficking ring run by Democrats. Was this based on anything? A leaked email? An insider informant? Some out-of-context detail completely twisted? Were there more tweets or articles or testimonies backing it up? Nope. It was just a random tweet by some anonymous person making a claim that seems to have zero origin other than that person's mind. So it was just a crazy thing somebody said that nobody paid attention to, right? Unfortunately, no. Welcome to the world of online conspiracy theory. Shortly after the Podesta data breach, his hacked emails were obtained by WikiLeaks, the whistleblowing group founded by Australian internet activist Julian Assange. Julian Assange is Australian? Yeah, I I always thought that he, I knew this before researching this, I had found out prior, but I always thought he was Swedish.
1: Yeah, he's Australian. Weird. Yeah,
0: WikiLeaks was founded in Sweden. He kind of has like a Viking kind of look to him. But yeah, he's Australian. Weird. I didn't know that. And released to the public in October, November of that year in the midst of the 2016 presidential election. The greater public expected the contents of the emails to be a massive October surprise, revealing some damning information that would sink Hillary Clinton's campaign and secure a win for her rival candidate, Donald Trump. However, aside from the revelation that some audience questions were provided to Clinton's team prior to multiple town hall meetings and a few other small pieces of information, the emails ended up being what they call a nothing burger, or so it seemed. In a few of the emails, there was frequent discussion referencing various types of food, cheese pizza, hot dogs, walnut sauce, and more. There was also a reference to John Podesta being invited to participate in
1: something called, quote, spirit cooking. Here's an example of one of the emails. Subject. Did you leave a handkerchief? September 2nd, 2014. From Susan Sandler to John Podesta. The realtor found a handkerchief. I think it has a map that seems to be pizza related. Is it yours? They can send it to you if you want. I know you're busy, so feel free not to respond if it's not yours or you don't want it. John Podesta to Susan Sandler. It's mine, but it's not worth worrying about. And here's another one. Subject. Walnut sauce? From April 11th, 2015 from Jim Steyer to John Podesta and Mary Podesta. Hey John, we know you're a true master of cuisine and we've appreciated that for years, but walnut sauce for pasta? Mary, please tell us the straight story. Was this sauce actually very tasty? From John Podesta to Jim Steyer and Mary Podesta. It's an amazing Ligurian dish made with crushed walnuts made into pasta, so stop being so California. In addition, there were emails of correspondence between Podesta and the owner of a Washington D.C. pizzeria called Comet Ping Pong, who had ties to the Democratic Party. Subject, Comet Ping Pong and Obama and Podesta? September 27th, 2008. From James Oliphantus to John Podesta. Hello, some young lawyer-type friends of mine are hosting an Obama fundraiser at Comet Ping Pong on Thursday night, and then watching the debate should be about 150 people, and they're raising between $25,000 and $30,000. Would you be willing to stop by around 8 o'clock or so and make a little speech? They, and I, would be thrilled to have you, of course. I understand if you're not available. Also, I saw that you're reading at Politics and Prose soon. What can we do afterward? Would you like to have dinner at my places? Big or small, what do you think?
0: Before we get into this, we're going to, as we start to cover this, I, I just think it's so funny, because if you look at, there's there's like 20,000 emails, And most of them have nothing to do with this. They're just completely dry, unrelated. There's only really a handful of emails that reference these things that are talking about food and, you know, involving Comet Ping Pong. And the misinformation that was spread later on was that all 20,000 emails had all these complicated discussions about food. And if there was 20,000 emails where they were just only talking about food and just being like, have you had the pizza? then I would believe it was a secret code for a child pedophile ring too, but it's not. There's only like a handful of them that were referencing these things and people just claimed that they were all about that and people just believe shit that they see when it's said to them on social media. But the thing that I find so funny as we'll get into the fact that people started thinking that these were secret codes is that boomer emails read like they're weird haikus. <laughs> the way that boomers communicate with each other is so strange. It's just, (laughs) did you leave a handkerchief? The realtor found a handkerchief. I think it has a map that seems pizza related. Is it yours? They can send it if you want. I know you're busy. So feel free not to respond if it's not yours or you don't want it. This is just like the wording of this is so strange and stilted. And you can tell that this is like some 60 year old woman that like I get why somebody would read this and just find it odd and start theorizing that it's some kind of secret code because it's just a, it's an alien way of communicating because people, millennials, people our age, we communicate in a very savvy way through text like our communications through email and comments we speak in complete sentences our thoughts are crafted to be to be read well in text form we're making them with the intention of being read and sort of understood in that way the way that boomers and even like later gen x talk in text they don't understand how to communicate in a way that is meant to be read So they speak in this kind of weird stilted way where they're like typing it out the way that they might say it. But it's not even really conversational. It's just got this really weird tone to it that reads really strange. But I don't think the people read the conspiracy theorists reading these things. I don't think that they understand that. They don't make the connection of, oh, this is just a weird way that boomers talk in email. And so they're reading this and they're just finding it so bizarre the way that these emails are of like, why would you send an email just talking about a handkerchief? But that's exactly what a boomer would do. They would send an email about a fucking handkerchief. And I just find that so funny that that gap in context birthed this entire conspiracy theory. And though there are relatively few emails with these references, it formed the basis of a new conspiracy theory within alt-right communities on social media. A belief that reverberated out and eventually basically usurped the entirety of global culture and made it impossible for any person to ever be able to sit around a Thanksgiving dinner table with their extended family ever again. The event did for constant low-level existential dread what the MCU did for sitting through the entire credits at a movie theater. The event was dubbed Pizzagate, or hashtag Pizzagate, based on the ridiculously annoying and incessant trend of adding gate at the end of any scandal that occurs. So what was the belief? It was that Hillary Clinton and many other high-profile Democrats ran and participated in a massive underground child trafficking ring that involved the ritualistic abuse and cannibalization of children. How is this connection made? It all hinges on the existence of the popular internet image board 4chan, which we will go into much greater deal about later on. But in short, 4chan is a community of anonymous users that come together and discuss any topics they want no matter how taboo or controversial, with very little regulation or moderation. Because of this, it attracts the most fringe of the edgelord population on the internet. Trolls, white supremacists, misogynists, incels, and the most extreme of shitposters. In addition, because of the platform's free speech absolutism, it attracts anonymous users interested in viewing, trading, and discussing child pornography. Yes, we will reiterate this later on, but just to be clear, the birthplace of this supposed movement to help stop pedophilic cabals in child trafficking rings also openly welcomes and accommodates a community of actual pedophiles.
1: Isn't that just isn't that just so intrinsically human? Like, moral judgments aside, obviously I'm not in favor of that. But isn't it just like that like you can't write that? It's just that is that's the dichotomy of suffering from the human condition is inherently linking whatever the thing that you're against is to the unthinkable connection that that it, it always comes back to those situations.
0: Yeah, and there's a couple of things in there. So there's one, there's the thing you're talking about, which is you can't write this. You, you, there's no way that anybody, any human mind could cock, could concoct the scenario in which you find out about this movement that's dedicated to stopping pedophilia and child trafficking. And on the surface level, as a normie coming into it that doesn't know anything about it, you're just like, oh yeah, sounds good. I'm I'm in support of that, stopping pedophilia. And then eventually you learn, wait a minute, the site where this happens also has a pedophile section that they allow. Like like you just you can't you can like you said, you cannot write that. And it's going into what you're saying about the the human condition of it. It's tied up in this. Free speech absolutism concept where the very people who are fixated on this moral crusade and very dedicated to this idea of thinking that there's this massive underground network of pedophiles that need to be stamped out and it's the worst crime of humanity are also so fixated on personal freedom and free speech to this extreme logical conclusion That they're like it's like that it's like that meme of that superhero that can't decide which button to press where it's like stamp out global threat of pedophilia cabals or allow pedophiles on my website because I'm so I'm so dedicated to free speech that I have to apply it to every single thing. Even when I'm literally dedicating my life to stopping this thing that I'm going to allow on my site and tolerate and support. Like they're so far into this ideology that they're simultaneously openly supporting and providing a platform for the very thing that they're trying to stop. And and the whole their whole belief system just breaks down because it's like, yeah, you can't, you know, only a Sith deals in absolutes.
1: Which is hilarious because that saying
0: in itself isn't is an absolute. You cannot commit yourself absolutely to anything, or else it'll just break apart whenever scrutinized to A very extreme degree and this is the most extreme degree of scrutiny ever where it's like okay yeah so you believe in free speech no matter what that's the the, the core tenet of your life is anybody should be able to say and do anything and not be stopped or regulated by any governmental body or authority figure or other person okay how about pedophiles pedophiles can do whatever they want they can go on here and talk about loving children and you're just like Yes. (laughs) But the other thing about it, the other aspect about it is if you're this obsessed with something, talking about it every day, fixating on it, making your entire life about it, maybe there's something else going on maybe there's something going on with you that might be why you're so fixated on this thing and we saw that that's that that is true in some examples the moderator of the biggest anti-pedophile subreddit turned out to be a pedophile he one day he just made a post and he was like i'm sorry guys i have to finally admit this i just drove to a hospital to try to like turn myself in i've struggled with this for so long I've tried to fight it. I've dedicated so much of my life to trying to stop this thing because I saw it in myself and I hated it so much. But I just can't run this board anymore. And I have to admit that I am attracted to children. It was the biggest one. It was the biggest, like, anti-pedophile subreddit. that just Their whole thing is just talking about how much they hate pedophiles every day, accusing people of being pedophiles, talking about these conspiracy theories about pedophile rings, And the guy who was the admin of it was a pedophile. And I'm sure that is not even nearly the only example of that.
1: Yeah, or people who were abused as children or... There's a myriad of situations why you would find yourself in that position of being obsessed by that. And it's also, you know, like we've previously discussed on the show, it's something that everybody can get behind. It's It's one of the few Pyrrhic things that exist in our culture where... Everyone agrees, regardless of race, creed or political <clears throat> affiliation, that it is bad to be a pedophile. And I'm not even saying that I'm not saying that if
0: you were obsessed with this, you are therefore a pedophile or even that you've been abused in your past. There are plenty of people who run organizations that are fighting child trafficking and dedicate their lives to. Fighting it. You could say if somebody's running an organization or has dedicated their lives to it, you could say that they were obsessed with it. And I'm certainly not saying that those people are secretly pedophiles. But what I mean is, whenever you are obsessed with it to the degree that you sit around crafting conspiracy theories, accusing random celebrities and politicians of it on a constant basis based on just like confirmation bias and searching out symbols that you've concocted yourself and spun up in your mind as having meaning to the point where when you are in a conversation or an argument with somebody and your first instinct is to like accuse them of being a pedophile as an ad hominem attack on them when you're disagreeing with them there might be something more going on within you. If you look at certain situations and you think that they are sexual like the people who said stuff like oh the fucking cover of the Nirvana album is child pornography. That is a picture of a baby that is not inherently sexual. Yes, a pedophile could look at that and be sexually aroused by it because of what they are, but that is not an inherently sexual picture. If you look at this picture of this naked baby and you're like, this is sexual, maybe that's a you problem and not an everybody else problem. Within the pedophile community that existed on 4chan, one of the things they would do was to identify certain YouTube videos that could be utilized as child pornography. For example, a video of a young child being filmed taking a bath as part of a family home video and leave a comment that simply said, CP, The CP stood for child pornography and was meant to serve as a helpful beacon for other wayward pedophiles looking for new material. Eventually, CP transformed into Cheese Pizza as a kind of sick, twisted joke amongst, once again, the literal pedophiles that hung out on 4chan the place where QAnon started. So when a handful of the Podesta emails turned up making references to food like cheese pizza or hot dogs, conspiracy theory sleuths on 4chan theorized that each food item was a secret code representing one of the many hidden aspects of the underground pedophilia ring that they were a part of. Here is the secret code that these 4chan, quote, detectives, quote, figured out was being, quote, hidden in these emails. Man, we're going to use the air quotes voice a lot in this episode. What are we looking at here, Davey?
1: So we're looking at a screen cap of a 4chan post. All the posts on 4chan are anonymous. So this is posted by someone who has an anonymous user tag. The commentary on the meme is search for these possible double speak keywords in WikiLeaks. and then uh, a series of keywords that decode the the Podesta emails purportedly. So there's hot dog equals boy, pizza equals girl, cheese equals little girl, pasta equals little boy, ice cream equals male prostitute, walnut equals person of color, map equals semen, and sauce equals orgy
0: yeah so in
1: the email talking about
0: walnut sauce that was them talking about an interracial orgy which that's not even there's not even anything wrong with that that's not like even if that was a secret coded message they were talking about having an interracial orgy there's that's not illegal Yeah, who gives a shit? And yes, much like a lot of the theories and claims we're going to talk about, this wasn't based on some insider information or a decidedly suspicious, if not slightly ambiguous piece of evidence uncovered by WikiLeaks. It was a made up thing by some random person that eventually hopped over into the mainstream and was universally adopted by everyone as fact or at the very least popular theory completely forgetting that it was just the random spitballing of an internet message board commenter who was most likely a teenager. Even to the original poster's credit, they don't claim that this secret code is fact and openly state that it's a possible theory they came up with, which makes it all the more disturbing that it was stripped of its context and accepted as truth by everybody else in the movement. I can't stress that enough, but that's really going to be the main theme of this sort of early evolution of QAnon and its inception. But and this we're going to we're going to talk about this a lot. We're going to talk to people who are going to echo these sentiments. We're going to read things from people who may or may not have been involved in the early creation of QAnon that echo these sentiments. These were literally just like ran. This was just like it was the equivalent of some message board for like Supernatural, where people were like writing fan fiction about Dean Winchester and and Castiel, like, getting together. This It was literally that. It was just these people spitballing these made-up scenarios and coming up with theories about, but it happened to be about a real-life event and not a show. And these were, like, kids and people in their 20s, and it has been accepted as fact. The people who made it weren't even saying
1: it was fact. They were just saying, here's a theory I came up with now it's just uh, trans. the the weirdest part though is because there's all kinds of stuff like that from the history of the internet where there's internet lore that people just agree on but it usually was generationally stratified so there's weird things that people in specific age bands took for granted or took as a truism because of the relative access that they had to internet to the internet sometimes in a good way sometimes in a bad way but the weird thing about QAnon or the maybe it's reaching the apex of internet ubiquity and and algorithmically driven content um serve to all of us is that now everyone is taking these things as true and the misunderstandings are intergenerational not bisected by generation yeah
0: and it's all about just like context laundering <laughs> yeah that's what it all is that's just a term that's a term that i've come up with because that's all that's exactly what it is like we're gonna we're gonna get to this but like the first stage with pizzagate where it has it jumps into the mainstream and gets accepted as truth when in reality it was just random people theorizing on a message board and then the, the whole movement kind of dies down for reasons that we'll get to. And then there's enough time that goes by and then it's once again stripped of its context. People don't know where it came from. They don't really know about the original movement and the original popularity of it. And then it gets put onto TikTok and just presented once again as fact, standalone fact of this happened. We're not even going to mention the first wave of popularity or how the first wave of popularity played out and the things that happened. We're not going to mention the origins of where it even came from. All you're going to hear is just this thing happened. These Podesta emails were leaked and they had all these secret codes and these are are what the secret codes mean. And then the people on TikTok bought into the conspiracy theory in an even more authentic way because they didn't even have the initial context that the original Pizzagate believers had, where they knew it came from 4chan or some message board. They knew that. And they believed it anyway. And then the second generation of people, they didn't even know that. All They were just presented a thing in the same way that you would pre- be presented with any information. There's tons of TikToks on on the platform that are just like, here's the history of redlining. Or like the videos that we do on TikTok where it's like, this is the story of Tom Hansen, the guy who made this Zodiac Killer movie to try to capture him. That's a true story that we researched and read interviews and corroborated with all of this, all of this Evidence and then we can cons- we can we distilled it down to a quick TikTok that just goes through the story in a very truncated way and doesn't really provide the sources because that's just not how the platform works and anybody else can do the exact same thing with a made up story and the same people will be seeing it and they'll basically take it at the same va- face value that a video that we've made that actually has factual evidence behind it, they'll take it at the same face value because they're presented in the identical way. And we're primed to just believe things we see because of how much content exists on social media at all times. From here, the theory started to solidify. The narrative clicked. There was a child trafficking ring being run by elite Democrats, and the base of operations was Comet Ping Pong. Much theorizing and junk analysis was done in regards to how the whole thing fit together. For instance, many anons on 4chan speculated that there was secret symbolic meaning in the sign on the Comet Ping-Pong building. So take a look at this sign, Dave.
1: Yeah. So this is a this is a photo of the Comet Ping-Pong exterior with a neon sign that says Comet, and it has four stars around the comet framing it and in those stars are a graphical element one of which is a moon the other one is a star obviously all of this is playing off of a space theme because comets are in space and someone has circled both the sun and the star or the moon and the star the crescent moon and the star on the logo of Comet Ping Pong. And then they've overlaid a photo of Baphomet with an, an old illustration of Baphomet with s- two crescent moons. And they've circled this star, the five-pointed star, on Baphomet's forehead. And they are trying to insinuate that Baphomet usually does the as above, so below hand gestures. And they are insinuating that Comet Ping Pong's inclusion of crescent moons and stars is not playing off of a space explorative theme, but in fact, is related to Satan because
0: reasons. Yeah, and to be clear, you know, in this picture, the comet sign, it has four points around a rectangular or there's a rectangular sign that says comet and then there's four points around it that are kind of like star points or whatever. They're on every side of it. So there's a there's a point on the top left and top right and a point on the bottom left and the bottom right. So it's like a star that doesn't have the top point. It just has the four side points. And so there's one all there's a point on every side of the sign, all four sides of the sign. And each of them has the moon and the star. But they've circled just the top left point and the top and the bottom right point. You know, the Baphomet illustration, the one that we've seen, in any depiction of Baphomet, he's pointing up with his left hand, or I guess it's his right hand, but it's mirrored, and he's pointing down with his, his left, our right hand.
1: <laughs> I just looked ahead at the script, and this photo, the next photo we're going to look at, what? That is... We'll get there. I'm sorry. I just, I glanced at that. And that is the dumbest thing
0: I've ever seen. It gets dumber whenever you read the actual context. But so Baphomet, he he points up with his right hand at the moon in the sky. And then he points down with his left hand at the moon. So it's, and then they've circled the upper right point of the sign. And they've circled the lower left point of the sign to imply that it's Symbolism of the Baphomet as above, so below, but it's just power of suggestion because the sign also has the other two points. It has points on all four sides. So they just arbitrarily have circled the upper right and the lower left one, implying that there's some kind of symbolic meaning there. But then there's just the other two. There's the lower right and the upper left points that aren't circled. And somehow those don't count. Like it, it doesn't actually match up with the Baphomet symbol symbology. So if they've just circled the ones that fit into that narrative. And so you look at this and you're like, oh, my God, it's there. But it's like, no, it's not. It, the, the, the sign has moons on all four sides of it. I know this is probably really hard to convey audio, but just you know, just go look at the comet ping pong sign. And then look at a picture of Baphomet and see what I'm saying here. They've circled just this thing that crafts a narrative that when you look at it and you're, you know, willing to believe it, you're like, oh, my God. But it actually doesn't make any sense because the the sign doesn't actually match up with the sim- symbolism of Baphomet at all. They've
1: just like circled parts of it that try to make it seem like it has. Well, and uh, there's a term for this. It's called, I believe it's called apathenia, where it's a condition where or a, a term describing a condition where you draw correlations or connections to things that don't exist. Like the silly version of this is like the meme from, it's always sunny in Philadelphia, where Charlie is like standing against the wall and he's got the red string wires and he's like, ah, whatever, like, you know, seeing conspiracies that have correlations that aren't factual is usually housed under this idea of apothenia, drawing false narratives or false narrative threads or correlations where there are none. And this my friend is apathynia. It's
0: not even a particularly sophisticated version of apathynia. This is like baby's first apathynia. It doesn't even actually work at all. Yeah totally another image started circulating that claimed to be of former president Barack Obama in the cavernous basement of Comet Ping Pong proving that this was some kind of hub for these elite democrats and that there was a massive underground fortress below the business look at this picture
1: this is uh 100% Barack Obama playing ping pong in the white house that is the hallway of the white house that is the White House. And he's playing ping pong with a little boy and there are some aides and obvious White House employees standing behind him watching. One of the guys is wearing a fucking suit, a tuxedo. And the other people are wearing White House standard attire. This is the White House. I don't know how else to say it. This is not Comet Ping Pong. This is the White House. No, this is is an underground cavern. This is an underground facility. That That is the White
0: House, that the elite pedophiles play ping pong with their trafficked child slaves.
1: Nope, that is the White House. That is the White House. And it's Barack Obama playing ping pong with somebody's nephew or some shit.
0: yeah. and and once again, it's just it's the confirmation. It's the power of suggestion that there's just this picture, which if you looked at this, you would not think that this was in comet ping pong. That thought would never enter your mind. But it just has text on it that says Obama at comic p- comet ping pong. And people are willing to allow simple, straightforward messages like that completely alter their perceptions. Photoshop, it's a hell of a drug. But it's not even Photoshop. It's just literally putting text on it that says Obama at Comet Ping Pong. MS Paint, it's a hell of a drug. (laughs) However, the picture was actually taken inside of the White House. It's a photo that is hanging on a wall in the White House. While visiting, James Oliphantus, owner of Comet Ping Pong, snapped a picture of the photo on the wall and posted it on his Instagram page. Somebody screenshotted the photo, put a slight blur on it, and passed it around, claiming it was taken at Comet Ping Pong. So here's a picture of security camera footage of the White House that shows the hallway where they're playing ping pong. And it's just you can tell that it's exactly the same place. It's got the same statues and the same carpet and the same architecture of the the columns and stuff. Like it, it's just the White House. So obviously the entire thing was as a result of the kind of ridiculous, shoddy, half-baked form of quote unquote research, that many conspiracy theory followers practice where they look for anything that can serve as evidence to support their claims, do not do their due diligence of verifying the validity of the research and pass it off as confirmed. Somebody saw the picture of Obama playing ping pong in a giant hallway posted on the owner of Comet Ping Pong's channel, assumed it was taken at Comic Ping Pong because the owner had posted it and there was a ping pong table in it, and immediately claimed that it was proof of an underground cavern where elite Democrats hang out under the business without doing even the most basic amount of follow-up investigation to realize he had taken the photo inside of the White House and posted it on his Instagram page because it was a picture of Obama playing ping pong, which was obviously relevant to the theme of his pizza restaurant. Like, if you ran a ping pong business and saw a picture of a U.S. president you admired playing ping pong, you'd take a picture of it and post it on your social media. Like, literally anybody would do that. It's just basic marketing. And I apologize for being so didactic about that, but I think it really deserves to be reinforced right up front just how flawed the research aspect of these claims tends to always be. The proponents of these theories always claim that they know the truth because they have quote-unquote done the research, and that the only reason others do not see it is because they haven't. But quite the opposite... The research that goes into these claims is typically very surface-level, based on pattern-seeking and free association, and never fully investigated to the point of spotting obvious inconsistencies, contradictions, or logical explanations. We will delve much deeper into this as the series progresses, but I just want to hammer in early on that seeking out evidence that confirms what you already want to believe and not thoroughly investigating the validity of the evidence to the point where you can 100% confirm it to be true, or at least has a likelihood of being true based on the given factual evidence— is the opposite of being, quote, awake or, quote, having your eyes open or being a free thinker. It's literally being a sheep to your own paranoia and believing anything at first blush without putting the intellectual work into confirming it objectively. I said it before. I'll say it again, man. It's very human. It's very human. Yeah, yeah. Everybody does this. That the, the everybody does this. That's one thing that I'll that we'll talk about later on. And I want to establish that is this isn't just a oh only like these conspiracy theorists do this or only alt right people do this or like only one political side does this or whatever. I think that's the way that it can tend to be painted, especially by the more mainstream political parties, mainstream Republicans and mainstream neoliberal Democrats tend to present everything in this very myopic binary way. Where the we do everything right and the other side does everything wrong. And I personally will always default and err on the side of I'm not a huge fan of neoliberals and Democrats. And I think that they're basically just Republicans. But I'm always like, like I would choose them over like far right radicalized conspiracy theorists any day of the week. I think that they're much closer to the right side of history than the other thing is. But the idea that they are just the good guys and the other side is the bad guys is just the wrong way of looking at it. And thinking of these things as just only things that dumb people from the opposite side of your political spectrum do is very irresponsible to to do. And it it is also it's blind to the fact that we are all vulnerable to making these kinds of mistakes and exercising confirmation bias. There's examples of people doing this all the time. I mean, we're going to get into this much later on, you know, whenever fast forwarding much later whenever whenever Trump got covid and everyone was like oh shit what's going on he's in the hospital there was all this speculation that he was like secretly dead and they were just covering it up and then after he came out and was like i feel great or whatever everyone was like oh he never had covid he just pretended like he had covid so that he could make it seem like it was fine those are conspiracy theories neither of those things are true in order to pretend like he had covid That entire Walter Reed Hospital would have had to be in on it. They would have had to every doctor, nurse and janitor in the building would have had to agree to lie to the public and pretend like Donald Trump had covid. It, 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 like everybody is susceptible to conspiracy theories and coming up with emotionally validating claims that are not accurate and not based on factual information the anons then really dug into their deep mythology of completely imagined subliminal imagery you want to read this little blurb here
1: in this image so yeah the these are a bunch of icons that are supposed to be logos that that people would use to signal their preferences. At the top of this, it says, according to the FBI documents released by WikiLeaks, the following symbols are used by pedophiles to identify sexual preferences. A blue triangle for boy lover, pink heart for girl lover, a squiggly blue line for a little boy lover, a pink and purple butterfly for child lover. Conspiracy theorists claim that other designs used elements by business owner near Comet Ping Pong also resemble these pedophilic symbols. The Best Pizza logo is a- Some
0: businesses that in the area around Comet Ping Pong. There's another restaurant called Besta Pizza.
1: Besta Pizza. Besta Pizza is a flying triangle turned on its side which i guess kind of resembles the boy lover one the icon on the Terrasol website is a hand inside of a heart which i guess maybe because they're heart related you could see that it's a little child's hand inside of a adult hand the comet ping pong logo which is a different one that's on the surface of their or the front of their building which is just a green word balloon that says comet with ping pong underneath it looks nothing like little boy lover like just nothing and play eat drink a symbol found on the comet ping pong menu is two ping pong paddles next to each other with a strip of text that says play e-drink. And that's a pretty far stretch to say that looks like a butterfly as well.
0: Yeah, and the Comet ping pong logo looks nothing like the squiggle line. I don't even know how the correlation could be drawn there whatsoever. The butterfly one is a far stretch because it's just two ping pong paddles crossed, which is like a pretty iconic look of like you have two swords crossed or whatever. That's a thing that you see a lot. The, the other one, the heart, the quote-unquote girl lover symbol is a pink heart that's like a heart with a heart inside of it. And then this other, this icon that's on the Terrasol website, it's not even pink, it's red, and it's got a little hand inside of it. I guess in the context of other symbols that are more uncanny, you might be like, oh yeah, and this one also has a resemblance. But I don't think on its own you would ever make the connection there. The one that's the closest in resemblance is the Besta Pizza logo compared to the boy lover symbol that's like a triangle that's like a that's kind of like a line squiggle or a, a spiral looking triangle. And then the Besta Pizza logo kind of looks like that. But the thing with the added context, the logo, the Besta Pizza is owned by an Egyptian immigrant. So the logo is supposed to be a pizza slice that vaguely looks like an Egyptian hieroglyphic. And yeah, that's it. It's a slice of pizza that has like a vaguely Egyptian look to it, and it resembles the spiral triangle. Many of the businesses scrambled to scrub the symbols and logos from their websites, unaware that this was exactly the wrong thing to do and would only convince the accusers that they were onto something and the businesses were working to cover up their crimes.
1: Yeah, it's so funny. It's so funny though to think about. I mean, I guess, what else do you do? Because if someone's like, oh, oh, your logo looks like a pedophile logo on the internet. You're like, oh, I got to change that. But it's still, you're absolutely right. That feeds the conspiracy theory more, but you're damned if you do, damned if you don't in that situation,
0: you know? That's by design of this whole thing. There's nothing you can do like But I think that ultimately the best thing to do is just to not change it because they're going to accuse you either way. They're going to say that like nothing you're going to do is going to make it better. They're just going to keep harassing you. So you might as well just leave it because taking it down is just going to give them an extra piece of, of ammunition to confirm that they're right about what they're saying. Comet Ping Pong posted a picture of a large, empty walk-in freezer, which Anon's claim was a picture of a secret kill room. And if you're wondering why a secret underground child trafficking ring running out of a pizza restaurant would just be blatantly posting evidence of their crimes and purposely injecting symbolism into their signage in order to needlessly draw attention to themselves, first of all, congratulations. You're a reasonable person But second of all, they have an explanation for that. We will touch on this more later, but the Deep State and these secret cabals are so cocky, so sure that they are untouchable, so convinced that they are above the law in every conceivable way, that they actually take pleasure in hiding symbols and clues to their crimes in plain sight, and delighting in how nobody can do anything about it. In fact, the act of hiding symbolism in plain sight is a part of the satanic incantations and rituals that the Deep State needs to perform in order to maintain their youth and power. But that's getting way ahead of ourselves. In actuality, the walk-in freezer wasn't even from Comet Ping Pong. It was a picture of a walk-in freezer from a different building that Comet Ping Pong was considering leasing. Another photo materialized with posters claiming it was the owner of Comet Ping Pong, Aliphantus, admitting he was a pedophile by wearing a shirt that said, Je les l'enfant, or I love children, in French. And to clarify, the shirt is like J apostrophe and then a picture of a heart, l'enfant. I adore L'Enfant, or whatever. However, the person in the picture wasn't even Oliphantus. It was the owner of a different restaurant in the D.C. area called L'Enfant. And the shirt was clearly merch for his restaurant, parodying the iconic I Heart New York t-shirt slogan. The restaurant was named after Pierre Charles L'Enfant, an American colonist from France who served under George Washington during
1: the Revolutionary War. Man, that's a deep cut. That is a deep cut. All right. So what do you want to name your restaurant? You could be like Tasty Foods or like uh, Arby's or like what do you what do you want to talk? I want to name it after a Revolutionary War French expat.
0: Well, and that's the reason for this whole conspiracy theory is this block of town in Washington, D.C., this like little this little like community of businesses, restaurants and bookstores. They're all just a bunch of like hyper liberal intellectuals like Alafontes, the guy who owns Comet Ping Pong and a couple other businesses on that street. He's just he's a politically active member of the Democratic Party, like he's friends with all of the high level Democrats. And there's another business called called what is it called politics and prose. It's a bookstore and the bookstore is run by a former Democratic speechwriter. And every other business on this block, they're all run by these like basically these white liberal intellectuals. So that's the whole reason for why this conspiracy theory exists. This guy who runs this restaurant, Leon Font, he's just another like liberal intellectual who would name his business after some fucking obscure historical figure. But it's because of this that these conspiracy theories exist, that these people that create these conspiracy theories, they look at this and they see that all these business owners are these like affluent liberal intellectuals. And they're like, oh, my God, this is the den of the beast. This is where all of these elite deep state members are running these businesses that are secretly fronts for these dark crimes or whatever. And before your brain molds over with the crushing stupidity of this, I want to take a second to play devil's advocate here. As damaging as this is and as irresponsible as it was for these early posters to spread this misinformation, I think it's important to remember that these posters did not actually believe any of these things were true. This was a group of edgelord shitposters crafting fanfiction designed to vent their hatred for a political group, the LGBTQ community, and other aspects of society that they didn't like. It wasn't actually their intention for this stuff to carry over to the greater public and be accepted as fact. It was just a deeply toxic and hateful way of getting together and shit-talking with their online friends. To hear these things and think, how could somebody be stupid enough to believe this, is to underestimate the true malevolence and toxicity of these claims. It wasn't brainless idiots believing obviously fake things, it was a group of shark-eyed soulless kids who actually derive entertainment out of spinning stories that accuse gay men of being pedophiles, and literally not caring at all what kind of damage their fun causes or who it affects but over time this would change. The final piece of the conspiracy theory claimed that John Podesta and his brother, Tony Podesta, were responsible for abducting Melanine McCann, a young girl who disappeared on May 3rd of 2007. The reason for this was that British police released two digital police sketches of the suspects in the kidnapping based on witness testimonial, and
1: posters pointed out that the two sketches bore a striking resemblance to the Podesta brothers. So we're looking at, like, computer-generated profiles of what the kidnapper's of madeline mccann look like and i would say the john podesta cg rendering is like that's within the margin of error maybe
0: yeah it honestly looks like him it's like the lip area the way that he's got that sort of like protruding upper lip that that is definitely represented in that police sketch
1: The Tony Podesta one looks 0% like him.
0: Yeah, it doesn't look like him at all. It's just in conjunction with the other one. It's like, oh, this kind of looks like John Podesta. I'm looking for this pattern, this other picture. His face is a little fuller and Tony Podesta's face is... Fuller, So, therefore, it's him. However, in actuality, the two sketches were not of two different suspects, but of two different sketches of the same suspect based on two different witness testimonials. This theory would have likely remained a bizarre, incredibly toxic form of pretend play on 4chan, But something happened that I assume many of these posters had never anticipated. The story was picked up by conspiracy and alternative news publications like Planet Free Will, The Vigilant Citizen, and InfoWars. It was signal boosted by alt-right influencers like Mike Cernovich, Brittany Pettibone, and Jack Posobiec, and many others including the creator of Minecraft, Marcus Notch Person. What?! Yeah, the uh, Notch is like a huge alt right, like game, Gamergate, QAnon. That's why he was, he was, he's not involved in Minecraft anymore. He sold the company and they've scrubbed his. Like legacy from the game, because he's a full-on incel Gamergate guy. Discussion about it bled over into the much more mainstream domain of the R the Donald subreddit, a massive Reddit channel devoted to discussion about then-President Trump by his supporters. Eventually, a dedicated R Pizzagate subreddit was spun out from the Donald. R Pizzagate was quickly banned by Reddit for violating its anti-doxing policies, which then prompted the community to create V. Pizzagate on the free-speech-focused Reddit competitor, Boat. The theory had gone mainstream, and as it moved out of 4chan onto bigger platforms with more visibility, it was completely stripped of its original context as hateful shitposting by trolls and reached a large audience who were primed to genuinely believe every bit of it. And you know, I, I and I just want to clarify that while I think that the people who crafted these theories on 4chan They never intended for them to become accepted as fact or to jump out and turn into this theory. That's not to say that when it did happen that they were like, oh, no, or this is what I wanted. I guarantee that they ate this shit up like they did. They weren't trying to do this. But whenever the shit that they made up on this forum went viral and people started believing it, like, they, f- they loved every fucking minute of it. Otherwise, they would have spoken out and said that it wasn't true. With this newfound exposure of the conspiracy theory came waves of coordinated harassment of Comet Ping Pong, owner Aliphantus, and his staff. The business received countless death threats, both on their social media pages as well as the company's phone lines and mailboxes. Bands that had performed at the restaurant were lumped into the conspiracy theory and harassed online. Death threats were lobbied artists who had painted murals on the building. Even businesses in the surrounding area of Comet Ping Pong were targeted with harassment and death threats. Large public figures like Alex Jones of InfoWars and Michael Flynn, former National Security Advisor to the Trump administration, fully embraced the conspiracy theory, with Flynn posting several vague allusions to it on his Twitter account and Jones openly endorsing and theorizing about it on his shows, which only increased the harassment the company received. As Alex Jones once said on his talk show in reference to the
1: pizza cake conspiracy, When I think about all the children Hillary Clinton has personally murdered and chopped up and raped, I have zero fear standing up against her. When, yeah, you heard me, Hillary has personally murdered children. I just can't hold back that truth anymore.
0: Despite multiple pleas from Oliphantus and attempts to disprove the claims made in the theory, the harassment and speculation didn't let up. It was gaining more and more traction. It got to the point where people who had never heard of a conspiracy theory in their entire lives, not even the theories about JFK's assassination, became aware of the term Pizzagate. And for a lot of people who had only recently become political for the first time in their lives after the election of Donald Trump in 2016 and the way that social media and the new cast of political figures had polarized our social and political lives into a good versus evil struggle that could no longer be ignored by anybody and were not familiar with the fact that information coming from the internet could very well be wholly made up by some random 13 year old and still disseminated to millions of people as if it was true just were not ready to process the information that they were starting to see all over their feeds. They were enraged by what to them seemed to be factual account of a child trafficking ring being run out of a pizza restaurant in Washington, D.C. by politicians that nobody was talking about for some reason. They were lower middle class people with kids who had never even heard about child trafficking before, and we suddenly confronted by not only the very existence of it, but the fact that it was happening right out in the open. It caused a moral panic unseen since the obsession with satanic cults in the 1980s swept the nation and spurred on by the massive gap in knowledge between what they had immediately become aware of, that child trafficking existed, it was a massive problem, and nobody was doing anything to stop it, and the truth of the situation, that many organizations have been dedicated to fighting child trafficking for decades and that the entire Pizzagate theory was fabricated based on bad research by shitty, disingenuous forum trolls. On November 7th of that year, the hashtag Pizzagate first appeared on Twitter. Over the next several weeks, it would be tweeted and retweeted hundreds of thousands of times each day, many of them from bot and sock puppet accounts based in the Czech Republic, Cyprus, and Vietnam, according to an analytic study of the hashtag. Pizzagate had risen to a fever pitch. And the only thing that was certain was that something was going to happen to let out a little bit of that steam. And what did the owners of 4chan, the platform that allowed these false claims to run rampant, think of the frenzy witch hunt they had helped birth? 4chan's then-owner, Hiroyuki
1: Nishimura, said this. Pizzagate reminds me that a country indicated that there were stockpiles of weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, and many people and countries were deceived. It is the same old story. Some people who believe that they do something good may be deceived by false information, but their motives are good. They did it for saving the children.
0: So basically, America as a whole couldn't complain about false information being spread and believed because the Bush administration had spread false information about the WMDs in Iraq in order to justify an oil war, and it was okay that millions of people were harassing and sending death threats to innocent people because they were doing it with good intentions. In fact, during this time, I remember controversial alt-right comedian Sam Hyde retweeting a post saying, while the Pizzagate claims could be false, If there was even a single chance that storming the building could potentially help to free even one child, it would be worth it. This logic, of course, being incredibly flawed because the claims were not based on any factual evidence and the ongoing, quote, investigation into Pizzagate involved repeatedly sending death threats and other forms of harassment to the business and its employees. Yes, of course it might be worth following a potential lead to ensure that children are not being ritualistically abused and trafficked, even if it ends up being a false claim if, A, There is even remotely a single valid piece of evidence suggesting the claim is real or worth investigating. And B potentially innocent people aren't being put through a massive harassment campaign before they're proven guilty in the process. By this same logic, you could literally just make up any claim you want to justify harassing one person and searching their home as being quote worth it in the off chance you end up being right and actually saving one single child. I'd never, for instance, claim that alt-right comedian Sam Hyde is definitely a secret pedophile who is keeping multiple children locked up in his home and ritualistically abusing them. I would never suggest that people inspect his social media channels and search out hidden symbology and clues alluding to this fact, and I'd never ever suggest that our listeners start mass bombing his public channels with these accusations. But of course if you did, it would actually be okay because that information is out there now and it would be worth it in the off chance that it could save even one child's life. This is when the harassment started hitting a little closer to home. On November 16th of that year, Jack Pasebiak, the leader of a pro-Trump grassroots organization that had aided heavily in getting Trump elected, became interested in Pizzagate. He hadn't fully bought into the theory, but he had become incredibly curious about it and publicly claimed that it could be plausible based on his knowledge of the Podestas. And ultimately, he had a vested interest in any theory that could effectively take down the top players in the political establishment that he hated the most. One night, Pasebiak and a friend visited Comic Ping Pong to have dinner. They didn't raise a stink or attempt to harass the staff, but he did livestream the entire visit. So a lot of people have been going into that back room. No, a lot of people have been going to that back room.
1: That that one guy who was here before left, right? Before we the or they like we went back? Are you get order well, We ordered some food and then when we finished,
0: gonna... well, I want to be looking for the bathroom back there. I'm going. I I'm I'm doing it. I'm I'm going back. There. Well,
1: I'm gonna find out what's going on.
0: Did you see the the the, the, the face on the wall over there? I don't know if I got a good shot of it, but there was, like, a face on the wall of, like, this demonic face. Like a satanic, which is, like, on the last move, like a satanic face. So, so the you know, the live stream, it's 20 minutes, and it's mostly nothing. It's mostly just literally him sitting there and, like, openly waxing about the potential of these conspiracy theories being true and saying that he's going to go check things out and just wildly speculating about, just a fucking smorgasbord of nothing burgers. Like he's there to order the pizza, but he gets full on the nothing burgers before the fucking food even comes out. Cause he's just like, Oh, that face on the wall. That's like a satanic face. This is the thing. This is what you're talking about. Just like your wild interpretations of art. That's proof of this fucking satanic cabal. So the whole stream is just not, it's just stupid. It's, it's so milk toast. It's like this dude who's like openly trying to appeal to this movement and going through the motions or pretending like he's there investigating it, but he's just sitting there shooting the shit with his friend. It's it's nothing. Pasabiek later claimed that he was just curious and had no intention of causing any trouble or spreading misinformation about Comet, but he's heard on his live stream openly speculating about the meaning of supposed satanic symbols on the walls and wondering what is happening behind the closed doors of a backroom area. Eventually, Pasabiek started walking around the restaurant, live streaming as he snuck into areas of the building, including a private room where a child's birthday party was being held. After the staff spotted him pointing his camera in the room with the birthday party, they approached him and asked him to leave. By this time, Oliphantus and owners of a few surrounding businesses attempted to get the authorities involved. However, their attempts to contact the FBI about the matter were rebuffed as the feds said it was a local matter. And the local authorities claimed there was nothing they could do about the matter because no specific crimes had taken place and the offensive and harassing language used online against the businesses was protected by free speech. Finally, on December 4th of 2016, Edgar Madison Welch, a 28-year-old man from Salisbury, North Carolina, drove to Washington, D.C. and approached Comet Ping Pong carrying a loaded AR-15 and a few other weapons. He entered the business, urging customers to vacate the area, and planned on investigating and uncovering the child-trafficking dungeon in the basement for himself. Welch, a deeply religious man drawn to conspiracy theory and stories of the evil satanic battle being fought behind the scenes for our very souls, was known for posting Bible verses and rants about the demonic forces in the world on social media, and for literally approaching friends and acquaintances and trying to pray and force ungodly spirits out of them. Over the prior months, he had become deeply radicalized by the Pizzagate theory, and increasingly frustrated that nobody was doing anything about it. Unlike 99% of all conspiracy theorists on social media, he didn't just get a sick sense of moral satisfaction from spreading and talking about the supposed evil deeds of his enemies. He actually wanted to go in there and save the kids that he was convinced were being held in the basement of Comet Ping Pong. As customers rushed outside, police were called, and the business was swarmed with cops. Welch barricaded himself inside with the remaining staff, menacing around and screaming at them to tell him where the kids were. During the tense 45 minutes, he fired three shots from his AR-15. One of the shots blew the lock off of a door to one of the back rooms. The other two were fired into random walls of the building. Thankfully, nobody was hurt. Welch milled around in the building, checking every room, searching for a door to the basement, the secret kill room, or any other areas where children might be kept. But there weren't any. The building didn't even have a basement. As the realization started to sink in with Welch that he had been deceived by online conspiracy theory, he put his guns and knives down on a nearby surface and walked out of the building with his hands up, surrendering to police. As he was being arrested and questioned as to what he had been doing in the building, he simply said, The intel on this wasn't 100%. Welch was taken into custody. Comet Ping Pong was closed for a number of days while the damages were repaired, and they could process what had happened. And the online Pizzagate theorist quickly pivoted to accusing him of being a false flag crisis actor sent by the Democrat pedophile ring to make believers of the theory look crazy and violent. On December 13, 2016, Welch was charged with one account of Interstate transportation of a firearm with intent to commit an offense which is a federal crime. According to court documents, Welch attempted to recruit friends three days before the attack by urging them to watch a YouTube video about the conspiracy. He was subsequently charged with two additional offenses, with the grand jury returning an indictment charging him with assault with a dangerous weapon and possession of a firearm during the commission of a crime. On March 24th, 2017, following a plea agreement with prosecutors, Welch pleaded guilty to the federal charge of an interstate transport of firearms and the local district of Columbia charge of assault with a dangerous weapon. Welch also agreed to pay 5,744 dollars for damages to the restaurant u.s district judge kentonji brown jackson sentenced welch to four years in prison on june 22nd of 2017 at the sentencing hearing welch apologized for his conduct and said he had been foolish and reckless on March 3rd, 2020, Welch was transferred to a community correction center and was released on May 28th. Shortly after the shooting, figures like Alex Jones and Michael Flynn immediately attempted to distance themselves from the conspiracy theory, scrubbing all mentions of it from their social media channels and content and never speaking about it again. To this day, they'll deny supporting the Pizzagate theory despite directly being responsible for its mainstream success. On January 25th, 2019, Comet Ping Pong suffered an arson attack when a fire was started in one of its back rooms. Employees quickly extinguished the blaze, and nobody was injured. They've never to this day figured out who started the fire. However, despite that, a few more minor incidents and a vague background hum of continued belief, the Pizzacate theory largely fizzled out. The shooting incident had burned off the thick top layer of more casual supporters who wanted nothing to do with the actual real-life violence scared away high-profile figures who no longer wanted to signal boost it, and created an uncertain path forward for even die-hard true believers. Pizzagate was over, although it would roar back to life a few years later in 2020 amongst, of all people, Gen Z TikTok users, but we'll go into that later. For now, the movement would merely serve as the first draft trial run for something even bigger, even more dangerous, and even more capable of overtaking the public zeitgeist. Pizzagate was ground zero for what would eventually solidify itself as the universal theory of all conspiracies, QAnon. But before we move on to explore that, let's instead go back to the very beginning, before Pizzagate, back to the very origins of how we wound up in a place in society where people were willing to embrace blatant lies and craft an entire worldview around them. Because in order to truly understand the meaning and implications of QAnon, beyond the surface-level, quote, it's-just-a-bunch-of-crazy-stupid-people trope that we've all accepted, we need to understand that the core strategies, beliefs, and machinations of the QAnon movement have been in the works for decades, and we're only just now seeing the results. Ancient anti-Semitic conspiracies that date back hundreds of years, Calculated plots to erode the very fabric of truth with strategic misinformation campaigns, the development of artificial intelligence, manufactured political supervillains, and the gradual dissolution of the shared human condition. This is the path that eventually leads us to QAnon, and we'll explore how it all played out and how exactly we got here in part two of QAnon Month on
1: Deep Cuts. I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. This has been Deep Cuts. You can find me on the internet at heydavebaker.com or on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at xdavebakerx. Andrew, where can people find you on the internet?
0: You can find me in the uh, the background of every global event for the last several decades, slowly orchestrating things to shift into a confusing, nightmarish, existential, post-truth dynamic where nobody understands what anything means anymore. And in that vacuum of confusion, you can get away with committing any kind of crime or atrocity, basically carte blanche, and even present yourself as if you're doing the exact opposite and get praise for doing the opposite of the secret atrocities that you're actually doing because you have so thoroughly destroyed the idea of objective truth. And you can also find me at dapricewrights.com where you can get my book, Deadbull AI Private Eye. You can also go to DeepCutsPod.com. Click on the shop or go to bit.ly.com slash Deep Cuts merch and you can get some Deep Cuts t-shirts or hats with some cool Deep Cuts designs on them. You can get some stickers. If you go to DeepCutsPod.com on the front page, there's a link to buy our Junior Sleuth shoulder patch. You can join us on our in our Facebook group Just search for the Deep Cuts podcast Facebook group. You can follow us on Instagram at Deep Cuts Pod. You can check out our mini explainers on TikTok if you search at Mystery Treehouse. And last but not least, or yeah, last, but at this point, I would say most you should join our Deep Cuts Discord server. We just got it going. We started it a couple weeks ago or maybe even less than that. And so far it's gone really well. We've got a good amount of people in there and we're creating some cool channels and we're talking about some cool things that we're sort of unable to talk about in our... Facebook group where sort of conversations get like buried in this feed. We have channels where we talk about video games. We're going to do an album listening club. Maybe we might be able to do a book club monthly. We're talking, people are submitting their own art, whether it be fan art or just art that they're working on. And people can look at it and comment on it. We're discussing the episodes. People are posting memes. It's a really cool community that's gotten off to a, gr- a pretty good start, in my opinion, and I'm pretty excited about it. And you can join that by going to bit.ly.com slash Deep Discord or clicking the link in the show notes.
1: Or also, you know, if you just want to come hang out on the, the Facebook group, that's cool, too. So we, obviously, we want to keep growing both communities because the Deep Cuts Facebook group has been instrumental. They've been making tons of memes. It's really cool to see all of these users come out of the woodworks and and really uh, show off their creativity <laughs> using weird Photoshop kit bashed images of Andrew and I's faces. It's very funny. And uh, I like it a lot. I want to talk about something really quick. I probably sh- I probably should just ignore this like we
0: always do. But I feel like because of the theme of this episode in particular, I can't help but bring this up for the most part we get iTunes reviews which we get a lot of good ones we get mostly good ones and we get some bad ones and you know we don't really care about the bad ones because really the only thing I care about with the reviews is that it just looks good for us and it helps us in the algorithm. So the more good reviews we get the more iTunes will show our show to people and when people go and check out the show a lot of times when you're going to try out listening to a show, you might quickly glance at the reviews if you had a a wall of bad reviews and that might deter some people from trying it out. But aside from that, aside from the marketing purposes of it, I really don't care. But there are some reviews that I see that really annoy me. The last time I went on a rant about this, it was about people shitting on us for saying political or anti-religious things, and I just had to rant about it because I was like, "Just don't listen to the show." Like, I wouldn't go onto a Christian podcast and give it a negative review, being like, "God doesn't exist. This show sucks." Like, that w- that makes no sense to go onto a show that you just don't ideologically believe in and give it a review, bad review, because the people disagree with you. That makes zero sense to me. And this is the other thing that I've seen a handful of times. That always really annoys me. And I'm going to call it out now. Parky Doodles. And I don't. Uh, Parky Doodles. This is me. I'm not speaking for Dave. This is me. Mono Imano. In this review that Parky Doodles left recently. It's a two star review. At least it wasn't a one star review. Because they said the show was mostly great and they like the stories and they want to like it. But the constant, but the quote, constant political banner and skirting of actual points just to scream misinformation is pretty annoying, unquote. And this particular uh, review annoys me because it's just it's very easy to say that somebody is saying misinformation behind the anonymity of a review where the person can't respond and not be able to back that up. So I'm saying right now. Parky doodles. If you're listening to this, if you hear this episode, if you're still listening to the episode, because by your own admission, it's mostly great. Email me, Andrew at boygeniusmedia.com with a list of every piece of misinformation that you think that we have given on this show. And I will address each piece of information point by point and clarify them. And if they all are genuinely misinformation, then I will Full handedly admit it and just to say, yep, we got all these things wrong and these all these things are all factually inaccurate. But I will point by point rebut every single thing that you believe
1: is misinformation on this show. Email me. Andrew at boygeniusmedia.com. And I would like to say that perky doodles or whatever the fuck your name is. I don't care. This is fine. You cannot like the show. I, I don't care. It's not about it's it's not about not liking the show. I don't care, but I don't care if anybody
0: doesn't like the show. To say That we spout misinformation on the show when I literally put months of work into making sure that every piece of information that we give on the show is validated and accurate. Anything else that is given that isn't validated and accurate is an opinion and opinions by definition cannot be misinformation. So that criticism specifically annoys me because it's disingenuous and it's very easy to say it whenever we can't respond and be like, oh, what do you mean? What what's misinformation? And then you can actually clarify it. Fuck you, parky doodles. Andrew at boygeniusmedia.com. Send me every piece of misinformation we've ever said and I will address them point by point on this show.
1: I guess that's just the difference in our the minor difference in our personalities is I have zero interest in debating idiots on the internet. I'm like, eh, that, that person's dumb.
0: I'm looking forward to it and the and I'm actually disappointed because I know that they won't RIP Parky Doodles he actually just died in a car crash directly after leaving that review.
1: That's why it w- it was supposed to be four stars, <laughs> but he got in a car accident as he was hitting it and his fingers slid to two stars with his dying gesture. He's like
0: he had it at two stars because he was just a, he was a little angry at first. he was it was an emotional reaction to give it two stars. He wrote his review and then he was looking at it and he was like, you know what? Yes, this misinformation that they say is annoying. I'm not, you can't deny the show is quality. I'm upping it to force. (laughs)